Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents, and welcome to the 2021 Summer Vacation Series. We're getting to know comics from around the world who performed on our Isolation Comedy Online show in 2020. I'm your host, Valerie, and sometime co-host Ms. Purrington will join us if she damn well wants. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy and beyond. You can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at ComedyWham or on our Comedy Wham Facebook page. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, live shows, and an events page for live shows in Austin and Houston. If you're a comic in those cities and want your show featured on the calendar, go to the events page and click submit a show to complete the short survey. Now let's get back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations, and we usually take a detour along the way. And for this summer vacation series, consider the, consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks from around the world that have helped make the Austin comedy scene fun during the 2020 shutdown. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us. All right, let's begin. Today, we're talking to somebody who truly is global. She was born in England raised in El Paso, and currently lives in New Orleans. She's a founding member of No Lie Comedy, that's L-Y-E. It's a collective which provides access to comedy education and performance opportunities for Black women in New Orleans through monthly stand-up and sketch shows, writing and improv workshops, and podcasting. She's also the creator of Funny But Make It Fashion. It's a modeling comedy show. I'm sure she'll explain it uh, today. She's the writer and performer of her one-woman show, Pervergen. She is a stunning photographer, and we actually uh, uh, changed our schedule because she's got a photo shoot, and you can check out her, her beautiful photography uh, online. And she is one of our favorite comics from our 2020 isolation comedy show that we did online. And now <laughs> Comedy Wham presents our guest, and here's my first full test. And catch you to Yay! <laughs> you did it. Good job. <laughs> oh, but thank you. Oh, I think it's again. Oh, thank you. That was a very nice intro. My goodness. Um, <laughs> where did you get it from? <laughs> Mostly your website, young lady. Got it. Oh, that's right. I have one of those. I have not updated that thing in so long. <laughs> well, of course not. Everything shut down last year. Why would you? Oh, but that's a wonderful reminder that I really, oh my gosh, like I have not touched that thing in forever. I need to go ahead and update that thing. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that reminder. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never liked the feeling that uh, by by having you on as a guest that I'm creating work for you. <laughs> no, but this is good work. Like that, it's needed. So yeah. good. <laughs> well, welcome so much for uh, uh, doing this with me. Uh, I, this summer vacation series has already been so much fun to talk to people outside mm -hmm. of, of Austin that I got to meet through the online show. Uh, mm -hmm. And part of the fun is they have no idea what's coming uh, and they don't know my icebreaker, my official icebreaker question. So they're oh, wow. completely unprepared. I am. Oh, are goodness. You, are you ready? <laughs> sure. <laughs> One word to describe your past. 
okay, I got it. This is probably not an all-encompassing word, but it's the first one that popped in my head. And I'm just going to go with bubbly. Bubbly. I think that's yeah. good for you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think that is definitely part of the charm and why you, you uh, popped up on my list for getting to, to know people this summer who did our mm -hmm. show last year. You're so bubbly. And, and it, is, it is something that you <laughs> mentioned on your website. Like you're, you're polite. Uh, but very funny and bubbly really kind of does capture that. Yeah. Um, I was very uh, fascinated to read that you were born in England. And yeah. <laughs> raised in El Paso. Yeah. <laughs> Why and how besides airplanes and, you know, a mom and a dad making you. <laughs> yeah. So basically what happened was, um, my parents are Nigerian and um, basically they were just, you know, they wanted to get to the United States. And for a lot of African citizens, the best way to get there is to go to a European country first and then travel on over. Ah. And so they were residing in England for a certain amount of years. And then I was born. And then when I was 11 years old, we moved to El Paso, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the reason why we moved to El Paso is because um, my dad's a doctor and that's where he found a residency. He had the choice between El Paso, Texas and Washington, D.C. And he chose El Paso. Has he ever told you why he chose that over D.C.? No, he's never told me, but it makes sense now that I grew up. Um, El Paso is significantly cheaper. Uh, yeah, and then if we lived in a place that was just, nothing happened, you know, you're just chilling. Like, I guess it was a good place to raise a family in, yeah. in a sense. Yeah, and it was cheaper. <laughs> yeah, DC is not for the faint of heart. And even if you're a doctor and making, you know, what most people think doctors make decent livings, it's still... Yeah. DC is horrifically expensive. Yeah, it's, um, I have cousins that live in that area and the amount of money, like one of my cousins, he's a lawyer. And for the longest time, like he, he just bought a house, but for the longest time he was living at uh, my aunt's house, my parents' house, because he was just like, there is no reason. The, yeah. the rates are just so high. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, not to belabor the point, but I'm going to belabor the point. I had uh, a very good friend who lived in D.C. for many, many years, bought a house that was above their means. Uh, her and her husband bought a house that was above their means. Um, and, uh, you know, it just appreciated and appreciated. They moved a couple of years ago to uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and they traded a very, very uh cozy cozy three-bedroom dc house in mclean for this gargantuan mansion in salt lake city wow. and they still kept money on the side so wow it's just outrageous um yeah so and, uh, yeah not to belabor the point again but that's the reason why i stay like Everyone's like, oh, are you gonna, you know, try and move up north and do things now, or go to LA? I'm like, why? Like everything's first of all on the internet now. Right. And secondly, like, why would I like have to bust my butt every single day just to pay rent? Mm -hmm. 
when I can bust my butt every day in the South and pay rent <laughs> and get some coffee at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Right. right. Well, not coffee. I don't drink coffee. That was just the first thing that yeah. popped to mind. Sorry. But, you know, just like okay. a little aside. <laughs> so, so you left at 11 and you do not have a, a British accent. I, I was yeah. watching some of your YouTube videos and there's like a little lilt. This every once in a while I could hear like yeah. the little British. Yeah. Little. Is that something that you call on when you want or is circumstantial fam being around family? Well, no, actually that does not work at all. Cause you know, my mom and dad, they have African accents and oh. the only, and I have um, three sisters out of the four of us. The only person that has their accent still is my oldest sister. And the rest of us are convinced she just does it so she gets to feel different. That's what we do. <laughs> but the rest of us, we lost it. Um, I think we're at the age where like, you get influenced a lot by the people around you and it just disappeared. Yeah. Plus, they bullied me horrendously for my accents. Which is a shame. <laughs> it is a shame because I really wish I had it because I would be different like my mm -hmm. older sister. <laughs> Okay, well, let's let's get into uh, comedy a, a bit. Uh, mm -hmm. You you are very bubbly, so I imagine that humor played a huge role in in your life uh, from an early age. No, no, it did. <laughs> well, you... uh, well, I I guess I would say no. I'm just gonna have to say no. Uh, when I was a kid, um, I never ever ever thought that I would get into comedy. I never thought it was something that I would do ever. Yeah. Um, the most that I got from comedy was like, I mean, I'd watch Comic View on BET when I was a kid and I loved that, but, oh, hi. Hi, she's here. <laughs> she decided to join us. Hi, Miss Purrington. <laughs> oh, hi. So cute. I, I miss cats. I, I used to have one before I moved to New Orleans. I miss them. But, um, but what was I saying? Oh yeah. So when it came to like comedy and stuff, like when I was in school, like um, I was verbally bullied a lot. And mm. so I just stayed in my shell the whole entire time. And I was in college, um, not in college, but in high school, same in college. And it wasn't until like I became an adult that um, I was like, oh, maybe like I can be funny uh, because I started a YouTube channel when I was bored. And then people would say, like, I mean, I wasn't being funny on purpose, but people would say, oh, you do funny stuff. Like, you're a funny person. And I never saw it. I was like, I don't think I'm funny. But oh. then one day I was like, you know what? Let me take a comedy class and see what that's about. And um, I happened to Google comedy classes in Dallas. And um, the Dallas Comedy House popped up. And so, um, and then, like, they, didn't, they had a comedy writing class. But... Uh, before you can take it, you had to take improv first. Okay. So I signed up for that improv class and I did five levels of improv at the Dallas Comedy House. And I hated 75% of it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> and I was like, and it's because like I was in an area in which, how do I explain this? So I was an older person. I was like in my thirties. I think I was actually 30 when I started doing the classes and I was surrounded by, uh, you know, basically college students who go to class together, know each other. And so me coming into that group, 
Like they didn't want to hear what I was trying to put out. And I didn't uh. understand what they were trying to put out either. And because it was such a homogenous group and me, it, it just didn't work. It, like, and I, and then like all my ideas, everyone was like, I don't know what that means. I don't get it. And so I was also under the assumption like, oh, okay. Like maybe I'm not a funny person. Like that's something I can't do. And then it wasn't until I moved to New Orleans that I feel like things blossomed for me because I took improv again in New Orleans, but then I was in a class where it was people from different walks of life. And we, I, I guess the way the class was set up, it was like a nice bonding moment situation where we came together, worked together and it worked well. Um, I, yeah. I'm curious, uh, cause I was, uh, I was actually born in Belgium, but I was raised yeah. in uh, the Fort, Dallas-Fort Worth area. Really? Okay. And, yeah. So, so I'm I'm very fascinated on this this Dallas notion because I know the Dallas area. And how long were you living in Dallas? So since I was in the DFW area, so like I went to UNT in okay. Denton. Okay. Yeah. And- yep. And so I kind of lived in that area, like I would live in Louisville for a while, lived in Grand Prairie for a while, Denton for most of the time. But yeah. yeah. Okay. Because, because it is not at all surprising to me that once again, you were made to feel like an outsider in Dallas. Dallas is very, very insular. It is uh, very white, or excuse me, very segregated. And... Yes. So yes. I am not shocked at all that you had that experience and you were probably dealing with people that were not equipped to tr- break the bonds and make you feel included. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, yeah. You can be called back there. And, 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 oh, go ahead. Well, no, no, I was just going to say, and uh, good. I mean, it's unfortunate that you invested uh through the five levels of classes just to feel excluded when you've mentioned you mentioned a couple of times how in El Paso you were verbally bullied mm-hmm. made to feel like an outsider and mm-hmm. here you are again this time you're doing something voluntarily you're paying for it and you're made, yeah. being made to feel like an outsider I mean that's very unfortunate I, I'm very yeah, sad to hear that I mean, I, I mean, I mean, not so much, I'm not sad anymore about it yeah. only because you found it. So much. Yeah. You, f- you found a place where it was more uniting and inclusive. And there were people who were willing to do the work of making you feel included or yeah. made it easier for you to feel included. Feel included. Not, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I only, I do feel like in order for that to happen, there has to be um, a diversity in whoever you're working with. Yeah, because so, can't be because if you have like five people that think and do things the same way, you have one person that's just like completely different. Mm-hmm. The five people are it's groupthink. The five yeah. people are not going to think that that one person has something worthy to offer. Yeah. But if you have like different people from different backgrounds who are not sure of each other's stuff, and you try and you 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 make more of an effort to understand each other. And then find a common ground and then from there build, you know, stuff. Yeah. And and it's funny because you, it's funny that you mentioned how segregated like the Dallas scene is. Mm-hmm. Because um I'm because I feel like one of the reasons why I felt like I couldn't do stand-up comedy is because anytime I would see black people do stand-up comedy, it was not 
um, it, it was like, I don't know how to explain it, but I felt like I had to put on a pers- uh, a certain persona in order to be accepted as a comic and one that I couldn't do really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, like one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite comedy specials is the Queens of Comedy. Like I watch that all day, every day. It's like my favorite and still 20 years later, I still love it. But like, I love those women. But one of the reasons why I was like, I can't be like, I can't be like them is because I'm not like them, you know? Right. And so my assumption, which was a silly assumption, was that oh, okay, that means that stand-up comedy is not for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I get that. I, 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 I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I'm basing this on one experience that I had of doing an open mic. And now I have to be very careful because my cat is in attack mode. So she's, ah! no, she's no longer being very nice. Oh, um, no. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so- she... She thinks it's feeding time and it's about um, an hour and a half till feeding time. So I, I have to be very careful. Anyway. If the cat says it's feeding time, it's feeding time. Know, <laughs> right? She doesn't understand clocks. Um, so, so based on my one experience of going to an open mic in Dallas uh, mm-hmm. and seeing the, 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 the white comic versus the black comic that would perform, I, I have to wonder now that you, you pointed that out, you know, how many of, of the, the Black comics were putting on an act because they felt like, well, this is how Black comedy is perceived, therefore, this is what I'm going to do, versus being genuine. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a lot that's genuine. I just mm-hmm. know for me personally, yeah. I was, like, for example, when I was doing, when I was doing improv, I was given, like, it was, it was expected of me to if there was a scene like I like I felt the pressure to be like oh I have to do like you know the the black thing that was like what I was expected to do mm-hmm. and I felt like I couldn't be funny because I couldn't authentically I guess portray that if that makes sense yeah so yeah. like so I know I felt that pressure I'm not sure about other people yeah yeah but that's just from my experience though yeah so yeah. Okay, so then you go get to New Orleans. You um, did you did you wait a while before starting to to or you you liked improv enough? Like you knew there was something there that spoke to you. No, no, See, you waited. <laughs> the reason, but my strategy, the reason why I did improv is because um, I was moving to a new city. I did teach for America. Yes, I know. But like, <laughs> is that so, a bad um, thing? Is that just, does that have a negative perception now? Yeah. Well, yes. Teach for America definitely has a negative perception yeah. because it's, it, it's got the reputation of not preparing teachers for the classroom and also making teachers like temporary because it's only a two-year contract. Yeah. And then most people like quit after those two years. And the reason why they quit is because they weren't prepared. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but that's a whole but I do I do want to point out that I am thankful for Teach for America because if it wasn't for them I would not have gone to New Orleans and I definitely wouldn't have started stand-up comedy for sure mm-hmm. um so I'll give them that but other than that there's definitely some things they do need to change about their organization in order for them to actually fulfill their mission of educational equity 
Anyway, yeah. but with yeah. that being said, <laughs> like the reason why I decided to sign up for an improv class is because I was like, I'm in a new city and this will be a perfect opportunity to like meet new people. Mm-hmm. And it was. And so that's the reason why I did it. And then I was pleasantly surprised when I did do it and I was actually kind of enjoying it. Um, but honestly, like I wouldn't like do it on purpose. Like I only do improv when it's needed of me. <laughs> I'm not about to volunteer myself as tribute for an improv group. Yeah. But I mean, like I and I and I realized there's certain people that I do enjoy doing improv with. But it's like not something I want to pursue as like, oh yes, I'm an improv troupe. We're doing this. Like, no, I'm yeah. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> so when did stand up? I mean, I know you mentioned why you thought stand up uh, would work for you mm-hmm. uh, when you realized you didn't have to be something else to do stand up. But when? Yeah what was was it something that you were just frustrated enough with improv and you wanted to do something on your own or somebody pushed you along well it was the pushing so <laughs> basically my first uh summer after being a teacher like i mean i didn't have that much money <laughs> so i was like what do i do and <laughs> i was like oh i'll just go to stand-up comedy shows and so i was just going to a whole bunch of stand-up comedy shows and because in New Orleans, they're free. All you got to do is like, you know, buy a drink and then yeah. you can stand up. And so I was watching a lot of those. And I remember seeing like a whole bunch of people and being like, oh, this sounds like, I feel like I could do it. Like, I, I was like, I can probably try it. it. It probably, we'll see, whatever. But it was like in the back of my mind. And then um, this festival, then I see on Facebook, there's this festival called the Black Girl Giggles Co- uh, Comedy Festival. And I was like, that sounds, that sounds fascinating. <laughs> you know, maybe I should check that out. And uh-huh. so, um, see, I had no idea what I was doing. And so they were like, if you're interested in participating, um, sign up. And so I was like, well, I'm a black girl. I like to giggle. Let me sign up. And so I, I filled out the little Google Doc form and um, they said, put a video in. And I put a video of, I put like one of my old YouTube videos um in that it's not it's not stand-up or anything it's just it was basically it's a one minute video of um me entering this contest for Issa Rae's um she had like this contest in which you can um win a walking role I mean uh, a walk-in role for Awkward Black Girl her second season and so I entered I did not win and I was supposed to get a t-shirt because I I was second I was supposed to get a t-shirt for that and I never got my t-shirt Issa, I want my t-shirt. Anyway, <laughs> but, so I put that in and they were like, oh yeah, okay. How about you come to our shows? They, they're like, you can't, like, cause I didn't, I didn't have an act. So, I mean, of course, like I couldn't do their festival, yeah. but they're like, we love, they're like, we love to see you and come hang out and everything. And so I went to their first show and um, I brought my camera, of course. And like, it was Geneva Joy was in the front, Camille Roan and Geneva Joy, they were in the front and they greeted me and they're like, hi, it's nice to meet you. And then Geneva was like, great. So we have an open mic tomorrow. You're gonna sign up, you're gonna do that. And I was like, wait, no, I'm not ready. I can't. And she's like, oh no, you're, <laughs> I was voluntold. And so I was like, I'm gonna do this. And, and I remember watching the show, the show was amazing. And one thing that I loved about it is because like all the comics, 
were so different. Everyone was, they had their own perspective. It was just so refreshing. I never seen, like, it's rare to see like mainstream, like um, black women comics. Um, just, well, there's more definitely today. Yeah. But back in the day, like, and so like this, it was just different. And I was just, I felt so comforted. I was like, wow. It's so nice to get so many different perspectives. Like it was just a fresh, a breath of fresh air, you know? Yeah. And so I was really excited. So I, I, I like the next day I prepared a little set. And I was like, oh, I'm going to kill him with this. But here's the thing. I, first of all, no, <laughs> I did not kill him. I did not kill him. So I, I did the, I did the open mic. I did not know an open mic, like, first off, there's a light, like, you have to honor the time that they give you, I had no idea about that stuff, so I'm on stage, like, literally fumbling through, like, my set, I'm just, like, trying to get through it, it was uncomfortable, people were laughing uncomfortably, not, like, because I was funny, it was, it was cringe-worthy, and to make matters worse, because I did not honor the time, the host Shep Kelly, she got on stage and she just she took the mic from me. <gasps> She's like, oh, it's time. Like <laughs> waving the light. It was like, hey, oh like, gosh. You need to get off stage. And I was not, I was not paying attention because I had no idea. Yeah. And I after that, I was just like, okay, yep, yeah, I'm that's that was cute. I'm not doing this again. <laughs> you know, I was so I felt so embarrassed and stuff. And I remember the next day um Camille she messaged me on Facebook and she's just like hey um do you want to go ahead and do an open mic on Tuesday with me and I'm like why did you see how <laughs> did you see how badly I bombed that last time and she's like yeah that's why you go and practice like duh <laughs> and I was like oh and so I went to another open mic comic strip and it was, and I did so much better that time. And I was like, oh, so if I do it more, then I'll get better. And then, you know, hearing all the laughs, like you get addicted to laughs. And so yeah. I was like, oh, more of that. And so that's how I started. And I, I'm thankful for that opportunity only because I know that if I had decided to try stand-up comedy in a different city like Dallas, I would not be doing stand-up comedy today for sure because yeah. I did not ha I would not have had that support that I was blessed to get you know yeah I mean as a as a, a showrunner you know now you hate people that run lights yeah and that have no idea what they're doing and yeah you 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 were lucky to have somebody that was like okay first time out it's very obvious let's see if she can learn from from it and mm -hmm. do better the next next time of course if you were to do it a second time running the light and just fumbling and being terrible yeah. then you know then you would have been persona non grata at any other <laughs> but you learned you learned yeah so. <laughs> it's not like about someone taking the mic away from you <laughs> honestly that's yeah. amazing that is amazing because i've it seen it learn real quick yeah I, i've seen it done here at austin open mics where you know somebody's obviously running the light and you know austin has that reputation of being too nice and i've never seen anybody you know just go up and say okay hey, it's you're you're done it's it's your time yeah. thank you <laughs> They just suffer and grumble in the background. And they, yes, you know, yes. They, that, they... That's, yeah, that's what I would do if when I'm hosting a mic. I'm just like, 
I'm, oh, I'm waving the light, just waving my cell phone light. Yeah. And stuff like, stop it, quit it. We don't yeah. need it. Okay. <laughs> but I'm so, too Yeah, too. Yeah. So, about how many years have you been doing stand up now? It'll be four years in July. Ah, very good. Very good. Yes. So, and probably- yes, a lot of people are like, do you count the COVID year? I'm like, yes, I count the COVID year. Because <laughs> we, we had beautiful things like Comedy Wham, you, yeah. know? you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there were a lot of, of opportunities for people to do to performance online last year. And mm-hmm. so I, I imagine that at the three-year mark, um, you, you were hitting your stride and probably, a, no, you don't think so? Oh, I, I guess I'm trying to still hit my stride. That's, okay. Yes. Right. You're okay. Yeah. As far as if you're, if you're putting in the work as a standup at three years, you're probably able to reliably get booked on showcases. You're probably picking up a few festivals. Is this my Austin prism at work here? Okay. Oh, no, sure. You're, you're right. I, you're continue. I'm just very self-critical of myself that's Mm. why just yeah go ahead (laughs) well so okay so well then tell me what kinds of things because you've got you wrote a a one-woman play Mm -hmm. you um I think the 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 funny but make it fashion is something that you started before the shutdown as well Mm -hmm. right Um, (laughs) you you were a co-founder of the no lie comedy which is like a big deal so Mm -hmm. you were you were doing things may and maybe that's the thing about stand-up is uh yes there might be a certain progression as a stand-up comic but there are other things that you're dabbling in because there is no right or wrong way to be a stand-up comic right so the fact that you were doing these artistic endeavors you were hitting a stride yes stop you know yes you can be self-critical but you were hitting a stride you were producing things you were contributing to your comedy scene. You're, that's, a, that's a fair assessment. You're right. <laughs> wow, I had no idea I was going to uncover that behind this bubbly thing is this self-critical element. Oh, yeah, I think it becomes, I think this, because a lot of people have been calling me out on that lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because like, for the longest time, um, I have, like, first of all, I come from a strict African family mm. where, like, the only thing that's acceptable is excellence in a sense. And I'm, according to my family's, you know, standards, I, I fall way below that. Um, uh. Just to give you a background, you know, my dad's a doctor. Mm. My mom is a nurse practitioner. My oldest brother, he's a pharmacist. Uh, my other sister, she's a nurse. My other sister's a forensic psychologist. And currently, my youngest sister, she's in pharmacy school in England. And then there's okay. me. Um, <laughs> yes. The outsider. Yeah. The outsider again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, See you analyzing your face. It's like, I, I, I'm seeing some psychological things that we need to unpack here, you know? <laughs> I've had guests offer to pay me for the therapy session, but it's sometimes good to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, that, that's really fascinating. And it is, 
it is hard to unpack that because you mm-hmm. you uh, you have a hard time accepting your successes then. Yeah, I would say that because I don't see them as successes. That's what I'm realizing. I'm like, the thing is, whenever I have failures and I've had several in the past few months, I, I dwell on those and successes seems as if like, oh, it's passing by, like I just got through it. Thank yeah. God I got through it, which is interesting. Like, and other people are like, no, that's a big deal. And I'm like, is it though? You know, <laughs> it's terrible. It's and people have been calling me out on this for like a, a while, and so I'm trying to fix my mindset. But it's something that you know, like I've lived like 38 years this way, so it's gonna. It's hard to like yeah. make that switch, you know. Yeah. Unlike yeah. unlike traditional careers where success <laughs> is judged by a degree. Um, a job, a specific job promotion, really the, the comedy world, and maybe this is true of any art form, um, mm-hmm. the comedy world really is judged a little bit by the, the failures just as much as the successes because holy mm-hmm. cow, how many people have I talked to where as, as a failure here, there, or whatever has been the fuel to do something different that eventually becomes the success. And that's also something that I've been reflecting on too, because I've had some things happen in the past month or so. And then it made me realize I was like, oh, I can't do stand up and comedy the way that everybody else expects it to be done in order for me to thrive. Like I just gotta, I mean, you don't have to do the traditional things in order to become a a successful comic. And also, I also came to the revelation that, like, you know, I guess success, well, not success, what is the word? Like, people, like, having a big following, like, that's not guaranteed to anyone. But the one thing that you can control is, like, your art. As long as it's, like, good to you and great for you, then, like, you've done what you needed to do. And so like now I'm like, okay, I'm just focusing on making sure I'm the best comic that I can be and then finding the venues and the um, avenues to display that comedy to people that want to see it. And it may, be, it may just be one person that wants to see it, but it still counts because yeah. I, I, you know, I did it, you know? Exactly, so. exactly. Um, I know you've you've alluded to a few things in the recent months, but I actually want to go backwards in time to mm-hmm. at the time that the COVID shutdown happened mm-hmm. and what your re- response was to everything shutting down as far as you know live live comedy and and maybe give us a glimpse as to how New Orleans uh, responded. I mean, everybody kind of knows what Austin <laughs> has yeah. been doing lately. <laughs> Uh, but I talked- are- yeah sorry you're yeah. popping in these streets right now yeah. that that's that that bad bitch right now <laughs> yeah it is we're, we're yeah. we might get taken down a peg at some point but for now we'll take it um Yo, take that ride for real <laughs> so give us the context of how uh, New Orleans as a comedy scene has has responded to it and then how did you respond to it I know you did our show mm-hmm. uh, and were you just were you happy to to do the online shows versus you'd rather be in person? 
Okay, I'm just gonna, first I would like to talk about my experience with pan, uh, the pandemic and then I guess the effects of the New Orleans comedy scene. So with me, I hate, I feel bad saying this, but it's the truth. When I, when the pandemic hit, like it was a time for me to legit relax, uh, which I hate to say that. <laughs> and also it was a time for me to save money because I was not going out. I did not have, like I, and the thing is, um, and so, cause I was a teacher also. And I have to tell you, like I was going through it as a teacher. I was at a school that was not a too good of a school. Um, I remember like I was verbally attacked by a student really badly to the point where it's like, I don't know if I'm gonna either, it's gonna be one of two things. I was like, I'm gonna either quit before May or I'm going to jail. It's one of the two. Wow. And that was, that was March 12th and then March 13th. Oh my gosh. I'm not saying God's good. Yeah. I'm just on time. He is on time. <laughs> and I yeah. hate, like, hated that. And also, like, but the one thing I do hate is the way that um, for for kids in education, like, everyone, well, everyone's like, oh, my God, kids are behind. They're behind. You know, they're a year behind. This is so sad. But here's the thing. Like, we set the standard. I feel like with education, you set the standards so kids can survive the world when they become an adult. They'll be, they're going to be fine. First of all, they're resilient. They're going to yeah. be fine. But, um, cause like the school system in itself, it needs a lot of fixing and a year away from that school system is not going to do them too much bad. They're, they're going to be fine. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. We'll figure out a way they'll learn how to adjust and we'll, we'll, we'll catch them up however we can. Um, that's a whole other Pandora's box. I am so sorry to keep on going. On <laughs> but um, so I was doing online teaching and then um, the New Orleans comedy scene, it kind of like, of course, like everything was shut down. And I feel like comics, like we just kind of did our own thing. Every There were some people that just completely disengaged from comedy altogether. And then some of us like, one thing that I did enjoy that I missed is like, we'll have like Zoom meetings, like we'll start them at like nine o'clock and then like there'll be a whole bunch of comics on a Zoom meeting and we'll talk until like five o'clock in the morning. Oh my gosh. Like, oh yeah, it got bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, and then that's why like days like were just, you know, slowly, not they were just passing by weirdly. Like I did not have a sense of time because, you know, I was going to bed at like five o'clock and then I'd wake up, you know, at five o'clock, you know, and yeah. it was, you know, and so for me, I enjoyed not having obligations. The only obligation I had was to online teach. And I liked that. I also did a lot of TikToking. I, uh, I decided I was like, the world is going to end. So I'm going to do what I want. And what I want to do is like dance with pom-poms. That's what's happening in this yes. life. And y'all are going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did a lot of that. And it was just a time to just you know, chill and just like enjoy my family, enjoy my friends and um, stay in isolation, you know? And then, you know, of course I did comedy shows. Like I did comedy wham. I didn't do as many as I would like, um, but you know, I did shows. 
Uh, and I liked, and people were like, I hate Zoom. I hate Zoom shows. I personally, I love them only because I feel like it's just me chatting to a friend. Like I always treat the Zoom shows as I'm gossiping with somebody. Yeah. That's, and it, that's fun to me. It's not the same as like a live stand-up comic. It's right. just a different, it's, 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 it's just a different um, way of like doing comedy, you know? And I guess it's not for some people, but I feel like if people realize it's not the same thing, that they would enjoy it a little bit more. Yeah. Plus, That's- I was paid a lot more doing stand-up comedy on Zoom than I do in live shows here oh. in New Orleans. So nice. <laughs> <laughs> because like, you got the whole world watching. Yeah. And as, as opposed to like a few like people in you know the New you know the New Orleans area. So it was it was fine. It was fine. Um, and then we didn't, like, I feel like now, probably, like, in the last month, like, New Orleans has kind of woken back up when it comes to stand-up comedy, because now we can have inside shows. Um, and so now it's becoming, it's coming alive again. Um, and it's interesting, because now that it's coming alive again, I'm realizing that I probably don't, it's, I don't know how to say this, but I realized, I was like, I don't want to do things the same way we were doing them before. Mm-hmm. Because, like, with um, New Orleans stand-up, it was a lot of, well, we don't have a comedy club, right? And that, and then we also are in an interesting situation because, like, New Orleans is known for, like, their music. So when people go out, like, their the expectation is, okay, I'm going to go down Bourbon Street and I'm going to bar hop. I expect to get into those bars for free. It's loud. you got music. You're drunk. And then you, you know, you just go from place to place. And so no one's really trained to like go to a comedy show. At least the tourists aren't. Yeah. And so um, with not having a comedy club, it becomes really, uh, it beca- you have to find different ways in order to get your comedy scene, I guess, and do your comedy shows. And I felt like no lie comedy. We, I think we did a really good job of that. Um, like we had really, but before pandemic times, we had really fun, awesome shows. Um, and like, but the thing is, I really wish we could have paid people more, you know, because the way that we set it up is, oh, it's a pay as you can. Mm -hmm. So anyone that, you know, you just, you can pay a dollar to get in to see the show. And, uh, I just... I really wish that we had the setup where um, people are trained to be like, you know what? I'm about to see a good stand-up show. Yes, I will pay like ten or twenty dollars to see it, and we are able to fill rooms doing that by itself. Um, I'm seeing that a lot of people now, but it was really hard to do that also because all the other shows were free. Like no one, we were like yeah. maybe one of the only ones that was doing pay as you can. And don't get it twisted. There was definitely like one-off shows where people, it's interesting. Okay. I'm going all over the place. It's <laughs> like New Orleans is really interesting because like we have like the free shows and the, the, those are happening. But then, because there are certain comics that are well-established and well-known, like comedians that are born and raised here they have the ability to 
do like the expensive shows where people pay $25 to get in. Okay. It's interesting. So it's either you have, and then that's a whole under entity, but if you are a transplant, if you will, someone who just moved here, it's, it's harder for us to pull it off. I'm not explaining it correctly, but I'm just letting you know, it's like, it's so different. It's really weird. Like most people in the scene before pandemic, it was the norm. Like, okay, you're doing a comedy show. Um, you're not charging at the door. Like it's, you're just not. Yeah. You're doing it at the bar. You get, you know, a percentage of the bar tab. And then like tips at the end of the show. Yeah, we we have a mix here in Austin. We have the bar shows that are free. Yeah. Uh, I know that we we're produ- we're producing a live showcase and uh-huh. it's it's free, but we ask for tips. Yeah, and I, we push it hard, and we're we're lucky because we're we're in a suburb, so mm. we're able to tell that audience, hey, these are comics coming in from Austin, you know, they need the gas money. We're kind of able to kind of do that, you know, pity troll to say, <laughs> support, support these comics who are, I mean, some of them ha- are headlining the Velveeta room. If you know the Velveeta room in, in downtown Austin, it's like the small uh, club. And so, you know, they will recognize that, all right, these are Austin comics that are coming out to, to see, to, to perform for us will will support them with tips but then you have other shows that you know will say no we'll, we'll charge five dollars ten dollars at the door um part of it is i'm just too lazy to deal with the, the whole ticket sale thing but oh, so i i push really hard on, on the the tips um yeah i was very fascinated i'm kind of glad that that you you've brought this up because there was a post on facebook I don't know, maybe a couple of months ago that, and I think it was from somebody out in California who said, you know, you're doing a disservice to comics by producing free shows, charge something, get people to value with their dollars, the, the, the comedy that they're getting to see. And I thought long and hard about that post because I saw their, I understand their point, Mm -hmm. but on the other hand, having it free draws in people. I can push on the tip side. And when they get through the comedy show, Mm -hmm. they realize, oh, damn, I should never have gotten into this for free. Yeah. I'm going to donate. And I understand that this is microcosm compared to if this is what you're dealing with because everybody walking down Bourbon Street expects everything for free and they, they can be rowdy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it is a different beast. I recognize that, but I, I, I'm kind of fascinated by the notion of, you know, what does it take to be the first one in your situation uh-huh. to be the first one that says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna charge for my event because that's how much I care about my comics. And that's how much I, I want my audiences to invest before they walk into the door. Right. And yeah, but you, oh, sorry. You make a good point. Cause like, that's, that's the one thing I feel like, um, especially, especially when you're starting out, you know, having like that free show to draw people in is definitely like 
it's, it's, it's better than not having a show at all, you know? Mm-hmm. And then also you, like you said, like when you bring people in, like, and you have them be like, Hey, tip the, tip the comics. Most people, yes, you're right. They tip the comics and, um, it, it, I don't know. I guess I'm in this um, place of liminality, liminality. Like I'm, I'm, I want to, I don't know what it takes to make a good show where everyone is treated well yet. I'm still learning how to do that in the city that I'm in right now. I guess that's the conclusion I've come to. And yeah. I, I figure that out. Well, yeah, you will figure it out. And, you know, as we talked about a few moments ago, sometimes it takes the failures before you get to the success. And I mean, seriously, in the comedy world, uh, uh, yeah, I I don't want to say that. Uh, If you have a a day job uh, and you're not reliant on that income, take some risks, I guess is what I'm going to say. Yeah, the thing is, like that's that's another thing you know being a teacher in new orleans is it's a lot and i do want to like also i realize also i do a lot i do people say you do they say i do too much and i'm like you know what you're right but (laughs) the thing is because like you know right now i'm I'm a full-time teacher i'm also in grad school right now and then (laughs) wow (laughs) <laughs> and then you know I also I photograph like for example I'm a photographer also on the side and it yeah you're right I do too much and then like for the longest time and I feel like you know like when it comes to my the no like comedy collective I think for pandemic like we kind of just went dormant and I think it was because all of us had a realization that all of us was just doing too much Mm-hmm. And we need to figure out how to organize ourselves where we're doing the things that we're doing things purposefully, you know, right. in a way. But I had a, I had something else I wanted to, oh, yeah. And the reason why I do too much is once again, because of my family. I want to let you know how intense my family is. My mom, you know what she told me one time? She told me, she's like, I just want to let you know, your dad is lazy because he only has one job <laughs> i was like mom he's a doctor of a whole enti- he has he's the family practice of a whole entire city called john new mexico <laughs> and he's lazy because he only has that one job oh mama <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh but yeah, I feel like I don't take as many risks as I should because like I don't like I don't have the high stakes of the well if the show doesn't pan out like I'm broke kind of thing. Yeah. Like yeah. whenever I produce a show, I have it in my budget to pay the comics in the case I don't make any money at all. That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And so I, at the same time, like I try, but at the same time, I'm not really just like try you know like going a thousand percent in order to make sure the shows I produced are like packed to the brim Mm -hmm. so yeah 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 what are you getting a graduate degree in education special 
Okay. Well, good yeah. for you. Thank you. You know, thank you for committing to that. Yeah. No, uh, it's because, yeah, uh, like I said before, talking about the New Orleans school system, that's another whole Pandora's box. But yeah, I came to realize, because at first I thought I hated teaching. And I realized, no, it's not that. I just hate teaching at terrible schools. <laughs> and also, I teachers need to be trained. Like you, you can't just go through a six week program and be ready to be an effective teacher. Yeah. Yeah. You need to do the work just yeah. like with comedy. You got to do the work to be an effective comic just yeah. because you do open mics. It doesn't mean that now you get to um, headline the laugh factory. It doesn't work that way. You got to right. do the work. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. And I, I was trying to make an analogy to what you're going through as a, as a graduate student to comedy. And I'm not sure that I'm going to get there, but I was going to say a lot of times, if you mm -hmm. want to change the system in education, you have to become an administrator. And the only time that you can become an administrator, it seems is if you have those graduate degree credentials. So, yeah. um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. You, I'll let you figure out the analogy to comedy. <laughs> I can't, I can't do it. It's Sunday. We're recording on a Sunday morning. My brain's yeah, not, yeah. not yeah. on yet. <laughs> Um, I know that you have, uh, an appointment and my, my son has a swim meet. So we're going to, we're going to start winding down, uh, be okay. because this is my summer vacation series, you've given us a lot of great insight into the new Orleans comedy scene, but I want to make sure that anybody that's listening to this, uh, is is uh, given basically a, a pitch. So uh, tell our listeners why they should be checking out the New Orleans comedy scene. Okay, people are gonna hate me for this. <laughs> I doubt it. Cocky. I'm really cocky when it comes to New Orleans comedy scene. I feel like, first of all, I feel like New Orleans is slept on as a good, strong comedy scene. Like when you go to an open mic, a lot of the times it feels like a showcase because people just be slaying it there, you know? And then like, cause I visited other cities and I've gone to their open mics and I've just been miserable. I'm like, I need to go back to New Orleans now. What in the <laughs> hell is this? <laughs> also like, first of all, just going to New Orleans in general to do, to do or perform comedy. Everyone is friendly. They want to make sure you have a good time. We want to make sure that you like and you're in new orleans like first of all because you're gonna right. have time exactly <laughs> and you're gonna just see some prime time comedy from like diverse sets of voices like most of the comics that i know i know lots of comics in the city and everyone is so different here and i feel like it's because new orleans is such an artsy city so like everyone kind of just does their own thing no one's trying to be like I guess the, the the mainstream comics that you see, you know, on the TV, everyone's like, no, we, we, we got we got our own thing cooking here. And that's why I just love it. You just need to come and see us like you really do. Um, yeah. yeah. And who are some names who have either uh, recently left New Orleans for big, you know, big, uh, big cities or who are some names that we should be uh, paying attention to in New Orleans comedy? Oh, that's a, that's a lot. Okay. I know. A, and that's oh, like, pick, pick your favorite child, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying a few, like, um, 
Marcus Bond, definitely a great stand-up comedy comic, and he runs some awesome rooms. Um, I, I, I love watching Geneva Joy. I like watching her stand-up comedy. She's great. I love watching um, Kita with a Q. Um, Kita with a Q is amazing. Uh, who else? I don't, like, it's because <laughs> there's so many, and then yeah. I don't want to like oh amanda g oh, amanda g is amazing um and then we got xander billick oh, he he's the one that like that is one of the most uni unique voices to me personally someone that just moved and was a great comic and i feel like he's gonna do some good things soon um lane lignon i always pronounce his last name um terribly um we got <laughs> but he moved to Colorado but he's he's a Cajun comic that's just he's great um then we have Lane Sparkus so we got a lane for lanes <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh my goodness I can't just go and then of course Rochelle oh Rochelle Rochelle okay She's in um, Austin now. And so that's the one that you need to check out. Oh, she actually okay. has, she's great. She's having a comedy festival. I forgot the name of it, but she's having a comedy festival in the next two weeks. And I'm so sad I can't go to it. Okay. But she's having a comedy festival back here in New Orleans. And she's also producing her own play. She has a character that she calls Stangela. And, <laughs> and Stangela is something else. But she's got this play. I, I don't, I wish I could get the information. Just, just check out Rochelle and okay. Stangela and you'll find her somewhere on the internet. But she has a whole festival coming up in the next few weeks and she has her play that's debuting. We'll stop okay. there, but there's plenty. There's plenty. Yeah. Oh, and Kamari Stevens. Kamari Stevens is another person to look out for. He's originally from Ohio, moved to New Orleans and he's, He's fantastic. I know that there are um, a good dose of Austin comics that love going to New Orleans. Some of you know are from New Orleans, like uh, Evan Rabelais is mm -hmm. from the New Orleans area, and he likes to go back. He was, I think, he was just there. So I, I know there is a a mutual love of the New Orleans comedy scene uh, by by Austin comics. So uh, as it should yeah. be. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I, uh, I need to get down there too to Austin. I was thinking about going. I was supposed to go like the first week of June, and it just it, it was good that I didn't go because I'm in grad school right now, taking four classes for the summer, and it's ooh. bogged me so much. Yeah, that's but I'll a lot. be out there. I'm going to be out there one day. Though. Okay, I'm well gonna... let let me know because I would 100% put you on my show. So. <laughs> Just give me advance notice. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll do. That's one thing I've learned, especially after pandemic. Like the back in the day when you go to a city, like you can give them like a three weeks heads up. Yeah. You can get those. It's not that way anymore. Mm -mm. You can't do everyone no. is months upon months in advance. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. <I'm> not... <laughs> I had somebody who, who dropped in for a guest spot because that's all I could offer them. Yeah. But I'll put you on for a full spot, you know, down down the road. And he was like, yeah, three months down the road? I'm like, sorry. <laughs> it is what it was. <laughs> yeah. um, 
And Ketchy, is there anything we haven't talked about that you wanted to make sure people know about you? Uh, oh, I don't know. Okay, I love my photography and I love photographing comics. And one of my favorite projects that I did was I did a sexy comedians of NOLA calendar and that came out of total accident. Um, <laughs> and I'm excited to do another calendar next year and i'm and also in two weeks i'm going to be performing at the black women in comedy festival um that's in new york nice. and i get to produce a show there which is exciting i get to do funny but make it fashion at um at the yeah so that's going to be fun at the tiny cupboard so i'm really hyped about that but on top of that i get to shoot a calendar for the black women in comedy festival and I want people to buy that because it's going to be gorgeous. I'm worried yeah. you, it's going to be gorgeous. But if you're in the New York City area um, during like, so it's June 16th through the 20th, Black Women in Comedy Festival. There are so many shows. You guys should check it out. Um, that will be yeah. in the past by the time your oh. episode comes out. However, yeah. that that <laughs> calendar, though. Yeah. that's for the 2022 year calendar yes, okay people mm -hmm. will need to buy that and definitely go to your uh your i think instagram is where you can really get a good flavor of the beautiful photography that that you you do so or have oh i have a website it's just i don't i don't promote it it's a happy black chick photo.com that's ah, my okay. photography website okay all right that's good to know yeah <laughs> i was gonna say but you're Website's out of date. You told me that earlier. The other one. My the other one. Yeah. In catchichaboyza.com. That's completely out of date. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing happening there. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I have a closing, a final closing question. Okay. One word to describe your future. Limitless. Very nice. Yeah. I was going to say, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> it's two words. Uh, but basically, Simone Biles. That's my <laughs> mom. No, listen. I wouldn't want to be that. Is, no, my goal is to, because, you know, like, I love the fact that she's just like, I'm just doing stuff because I can do it. Like, everyone else can't but I can, so I'm gonna, yeah. like, that's how I'm entering into projects this, I'm like, for the rest of my life, I'm like, you guys say this is not the way to do comedy, or you can't do this or that, cool, I'm just gonna do it because I can, and y'all are just gonna be mad about it. I that's love that for you, because some of the stuff that we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. uh, just remind yourself of what you just said, put that, put that on your vision board. Okay, <laughs> I have those because I'm so disorganized. I never can get one together, but I'm going to put it in the vision board that is my head. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a wrap on Comedy Wham Presents and Ketchy Chibeze. Yay. Uh, tell us where we can find you on social media. And uh, this is your, your chance to promote everything and anything. Okay. Well, you can find me on the social medias at Happy Black Chick. So that is Twitter, um, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. You can find me there. 
probably Pinterest. Um, and then uh, what else? Uh, look out for my website, comediansofnola.com. I will be doing some things in there soon. Um, and also check out my photography at happyblackchickphoto.com. And hopefully I will see your beautiful faces soon. Hopefully. Well, yeah. we, we hope you've enjoyed learning about how Ketchy got to be the comedic genius that you heard today just as much as I have. This has been Comedy Wham Presents and Ketchy Chibuze. I'm Valerie and that's been funny. Thank you and Ketchy. Thank you. <laughs> that was nice. Thank you. You're very welcome.